Welcome to the desert of the real. What is real? How do you define real? Do you believe in fate? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. What are you trying to tell me? That I should dodge bullets? No. Trying to tell you that when you're ready, you won't have to. There is no spoon. Because you have been down there, you know that way. You know exactly where it is. You know what that means? It's Latin. It means no. I tell. As you adequately put, the problem is choice. Causality. Action. Reaction. Cause. Infant. Everything begins with choice. No. Wrong. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those with them. This is a Sci-Fi Rewind with Kevin Batchelder, Miles P. McLaughlin, and Scott Herzog. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Rewind. There's a collaborative podcast between the Tuning into Sci-Fi TV podcast and the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles Newblossom. And I'm Kevin Batchelder. And uh, wow, we have a good signal tonight. Yeah, so far Skype is cooperating with us. Let's cross our fingers for the rest of the night. I'm so glad you guys are back. We had a great time discussing The Matrix and a lot of good feedback. At least that's what I was hearing. A lot of people liked that episode. I heard it mentioned on a couple other podcasts. Like I know that Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan mentioned it. And there were some other places that mentioned it. So a lot of good feedback in that. Yeah, well, kind of figured, you know, this, this is definitely a, a staple for us sci-fi fans. A lot of folks would, uh, would appreciate uh, hearing about it. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how many fans actually hear appreciate hearing about Reloaded tonight. That's a real question, right? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So we went back and we, we we rewatched Reloaded. Miles, tell us what are your initial thoughts after watching Reloaded uh, another time? Um, I actually liked it better the second time around. Um, I, I I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, I was talking to Kevin a little bit before we started recording. Um, the first film just set a, a bar really high, and 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 we we start to judge things by that, maybe unfairly so. Um, but after seeing it again, I think this is definitely a good companion or, or a good continuation of the story uh, from the first one. Um, and you know, they didn't pull no punches. I mean, the visual effects were awesome. There's actually one fight scene that I actually kind of have to. Look it's just so much sensory overload. I just I kind of have to turn my way a little bit because it's just 
it's just so much I get a headache after after yeah. seeing it. But you you enjoyed the second watch very much, much so. better than maybe the first one, as far as you remember it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's in, you mentioned that, and it, you mentioned it kind of as a follow up. But you know, this really, we I think we mentioned this in the last podcast. The Matrix trilogy was meant to be one piece. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like oh, let's do this movie. Oh, it did well. Let's do this one. Even though I know that's kind of the way it was filmed, it really was the idea from the Wachowski brothers was like one unit. Right. You know, so revolutions were loaded and, and the Matrix all is one. Mm-hmm. Kevin, what were your thoughts going back and rewatching, your initial thoughts on rewatching Reloaded? Well, it's, it's funny. A couple of the notes that I made uh, were very similar to what Miles was saying. Um, the, the, the bar was set so high with that first film, it would have been almost impossible to top it. So I, I think, uh, you know, you appreciate it more going back to it. I certainly enjoyed it very much. I mean, I did kind of think um, – there was a lot more, shall we say, um, jabbering conversation in, in this movie. You know, we had a little more character-y stuff that kind of made it slow down a bit that I, I think lost some of that uh, momentum we had in the first one. You know, uh, and uh, as Miles said, too, there's, uh, there's some outstanding fight scenes, but they do tend to last quite a bit, uh, more than just one of them, so... Uh, not that I didn't mind looking at them, but you know that does sometimes take away from the crispness of of a movie. Yeah, I think maybe the pacing becomes just a little bit off when you have that. Yeah, I mean it, it works well, but you know it, it's almost like it's a showcase for ooh, look at what we, what we can do now with a camera. You know, let's yeah. do it from this angle and that angle. So you know, it it, it took a little bit of a way, but still, there's there's plenty of meaty stuff to jump into on it. You know, you mentioned the fact that there are some a lot of dialogue, a lot of lengthy speeches, and I think one of the things that does make this movie for me, from just a philosophical standpoint, is there's some great speeches in this in this in this movie, some memorable speeches that you go back to and say these are pretty awesome. But and and the fight scenes are pretty rocking. I mean, the, the fight scenes I assume that you're alluding to, Kevin, are of course the fight that Neo has with all the Smiths, and then also the uh, the, the freeway scene. And those those are very extended scenes that they probably could have shortened them up, and we wouldn't have lost too much. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I think the the Smith scene is was cool because at the time, you know, we had no idea you were going to see you know copies after copies of Smith and and trying to pull that off. I mean, that was just visually, uh, you know, a, gr- a great concept to see. And then that that highway scene. I mean, I, I don't know if there's another action scene from another movie that says dense with visuals and uh, roller coasters and stuff uh, in terms of the emotion of watching what's going on there that that's just an amazing thing to see do you think it do you think those scenes falter a little bit in the rewatch because the surprise element has been taken out of them i i, I know i lose a little bit in surprise but but much like miles mentioned early on i think you appreciate a little more just how much goes into making that work and visually all the work that went into it so it's maybe more of an appreciation than a ooh and an ah moment like it might have been first time around i I know for me with watching this film it's you know this 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 movie came out back in 03 and that's eight years now i I think i appreciate sci-fi maybe a little bit more differently now than i did maybe back then i mean um maybe i like the speeches a little more you know having you know watched Battlestar Galactica which was a very strongly character driven show um it did have its action, but it was just you know more character driven. I, 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 I watch and I appreciate sci-fi maybe a little bit differently now than maybe I used to, and so 
maybe seeing this, I, maybe I enjoyed the, the conversations more um, in, in this than I did back in 03. Um, I'm, not, I, I'm, def, I'm not saying I'm wiser, but I'm definitely older now. But uh, <laughs> um, so maybe, that, that, maybe that's why I, maybe I, I enjoy this a little bit more. The, 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 the scene where they're trying to get the key maker and that they're approaching that, um, I forget the character's name, but this this pro, which is another interesting thing about this movie is not not just the the you get the personification the the agent programs, but you have other programs that are personifications also, right? And they're living it up, and they're enjoying what humanity has to offer, and what this guy is saying, you know, uh, about all the English language, well, I mean, all, all the languages. And he says how French is his favorite, especially the, the cursing part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but ca- the whole cause and effect he was talking about mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I, I just, I was just like, I was just listening to that. And it was just like, that was really cool. You know? Yeah. That's really I, good I, stuff. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than you know, yeah. when I first saw it. Well, now guys, you, maybe, maybe, you know, this, I have this in front of me. And if you didn't look at my notes, maybe you don't know this, which grossed more the matrix movie or this movie? Um, I'm gonna guess the first. My first, yeah. Matrix Revolutions. A ma- excuse me, Matrix Reloaded beat out Matrix. Here, here are the here are the box office totals. Uh, domestic Reloaded uh, brought in um, two hundred and eighty mil. Yeah, two hundred eighty million dollars. Foreign brought in four hundred sixty, bringing the total to seven forty two million. Mm-hmm. The Matrix, on the other hand, when it came out in theaters, domestic one hundred seventy one million, foreign two hundred ninety two, <coughs> total less than less than five hundred million. Wow, that's uh, so. It, so Reloaded did better from from a box office standpoint. Yeah, from the money standpoint. Yeah, which which is pro- for some for some people that's well, the most important thing. Well, well, and for the studio that's probably the most important thing. Yeah. Now it'd be interesting to know whether the budget was much bigger for Reloaded and whether that the payoff was about the same. I would suspect. I, I, I think and it's been a while since I watched all those, you know, behind the scenes videos, but I think they shot two and three together. Right. So I think that, you know, gave them obviously some economies of scale as far as shooting goes. So. Right. Yeah, I, I do. I did. Th- I found it interesting that it was at least number two as far as opening, uh, like the number two movie as far as for opening on a Thursday, um, and it holds a record for being uh, having the all. It's the all time worldwide record, I guess, as far as money goes. It was thirty nine on the chart, so that's pretty high when you think of all the movies that have been out there, um, and that it was a number one R rated movie for two thousand three. So. So some some interesting statistics. It is ranked number six according to AMC Movie as far as being one of the worst sequels. <laughs> so not all the love that's there, but right. So just some interesting stuff that people are saying about it and how it's ranked. Box Office Mojo is where I got a lot of that um, information as far as the statistics go, and we pulled some of their stuff from there before. But so kind of interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it did surprise me. I wonder how much this brought in, and I was surprised to see that Reloaded to bring in more money. Well, I guess it kind of makes sense, though. I mean, the first one snuck up on a lot of people. I mean, obviously, the right. hardcore sci-fi fans were going to go see something like this, but it also was was approachable enough that you got a, a decent audience in. And once people knew there was a sequel, I'm sure there was a lot of the buzz of, "Ooh, well, let's you know where are they going to go next." Yeah. So, I guess, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying. I mean, back in '99, 
I vaguely remember the Matrix coming out, but I didn't see it in theaters. No, I didn't either. It was a, it was a movie to get on DVD. Yeah, and so I mean, uh, I, I saw it on VHS first, and then when I got my first DVD player. That was one of the first movies I got. So. Yeah, major DVD player sing. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. So, <laughs> well, let's talk about some of our favorite scenes in this movie. Okay. And uh, Kevin, can we start with you? Can you give us like one of your favorite scenes? I know there's a lot, and I know you said you go by speech as many times in the last episode, but give us. Um, I have speeches in here too, so we can talk about our favorite speeches. But what? A, give us like a favorite scene for you. Well, I have to start with the opening. Is that a kick-ass opening or what? <laughs> oh, that cycle scene when Trinity drives off the bridge. Yeah, I mean, there's no get get comfy in your chair or watch some credits roll. I mean, that's a wow. We are we are in. Uh, I mean, I use that. I use that scene, um, and I think I might have mentioned this on one of our previous shows. Uh, uh, you know, I've got a high def TV in a small home theater thing. It's nothing fancy, but it's it's my nice little setup. And when someone wants to say, "Oh, what you know, how good is this?" This is what I put in as that scene. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's great about this scene in the movie is you get to see it twice. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So no, I that's certainly because it's just I, I I get goosebumps. It's just such a such a cool opening, the whole surround, the sound of it all and and you know, pretty short little fight scene, but still you it's very much matrixy in the in the moves that Trinity has to do and everything. It's just a cool way to start the whole movie to me really. And what a great throwback to the original Matrix movie. I mean, she starts out the original Matrix movie doing the same kind of, you know, kick-ass stuff that you see. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, so that's why, I mean, it's certainly one of my uh, favorites. But I, th- I think uh, even aside from the other cool action scenes, like you said, there are, for, for the, at least to me, for, for folks who just, you know, love the sci-fi and some concepts, the, the whole idea of what we're going to, have played out, especially near the end with the architect and everything else, is the the thought provoking side of sci fi that makes right. this very cool. Yeah, and I but I agree that the cycle scene did make my list, Kevin. So, mm-hmm. uh, Milo, uh, favorite scene for you? Probably, I I, I, I like the, um, the the fight scene between uh, Neo and the Agent Smiths, um, and that that was just that was just intense. And when he grabs that. I guess the light pole or something out and just use it to start swatting them and stuff. And yeah, I think jamming into one of them at one time. And uh. I'm not trying to remember, but, um, but you know, and then he, and then he takes off and then they all kind of like, you know, he beats the crap out of all of them, but you, you know, they're, you can't, you know, there's no, you know, they're not bloodied or busted. They just kind of like fix their suit and, you know, they're on their way. Right. Certainly not a lot of gore. No, no, that's that's another thing. There's not a lot of you know, but they're machines, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> so you, you can't. Mm-hmm. So any any thoughts on that scene, Kevin? Yeah, like you said, I was just building on itself from the initial, uh, you know, expecting just the Smith Neo, and it turns into Neo against you know Smith squared and so forth, and then uh, you know once like you said, Miles, once he pulls out the pole and starts using it as a bat, it's just amazing to watch the bodies fly. Mr. Anderson. You got my packet? Yeah. Well, good. Smith. Whoever it is, he's not reading like an agent. Surprised to see me? No. Then you're aware of it. Of what? Our connection. 
I don't fully understand how it happened. Perhaps some part of you imprinted onto me something overwritten or copied. It is at this point irrelevant. What matters is that whatever happened, happened for a reason. And what reason is that? I killed you, Mr. Anderson. I watched you die. With a certain satisfaction, I might add. And then something happened. Something that I knew was impossible, but it happened anyway. You destroyed me, Mr. Anderson. Afterward, I knew the rules. I understood what I was supposed to do, but I didn't. I couldn't. I was compelled to stay. Compelled to disobey. Now here I stand because of you, Mr. Anderson, because of you. I'm no longer an agent of this system. Because of you, I've changed. I'm unplugged. A new man, so to speak, like you. Apparently free. Congratulations. Thank you. But, as you well know, appearances can be deceiving. Which brings me back to the reason why we're here. We're not here because we're free. We're here because we're not free. There's no escaping reason, no denying purpose. Because as we both know, without purpose, we would not exist. It is purpose that created us. Purpose that connects us. Purpose that pulls us. That guides us. That drives us. It is purpose that defines Purpose that binds us. We are here because of you, Mr. Anderson. We're here to take from you what you tried to take from us. I think one of my favorite scenes is the chateau scene. When they're in the chateau and he's and they're, the whole balcony or the, the steps going up to that balcony. Mm-hmm. There's something like Neo's there. He stops all the bullets. A great you know, homage to the first film when he does the same thing. And he drops them, and then you know, the Merovingian has him go and has all his henchmen goes and attack them. And you know, it's like ballet. Mm-hmm. You know, the, him leaping from one balcony railing to the other, and and using all these medieval weapons. It's absolutely beautiful. It's like a, it's like there's there's such a beauty in that fight scene. And Merovingian has no idea who he's dealing with. You know, he's just you know, he, he takes offense to. It's like, well, after Neo says, "You, you go, I'll handle him." He goes. He's like, you're going to handle us? It's just like, you know, and... Uh, right. You know, and you well, he's dealt with copies before. Because this is... Oh, six, yeah. This is, this is the sixth version of the Matrix that okay. we're in. And so he's dealt with the predecessors before, but mm-hmm. they aren't near as sharp as Neo is. Even the architect seems to hint at that. Mm-hmm. What are you going to yeah, say, Kevin? That's, I was going to say that that while it's a cool action scene, that, that subtle bit there at the end when he makes that reference to the predecessors and and all before is kind of the first time we kind of get the huh before you know what you know what's going on here so that's one of those subtle things you really appreciate on the rewatches you might miss the first time around just you know trying to take a deep breath after watching everything that just happened mm-hmm. you know and we do get hints i mean we're on this track of other versions of the matrix even the the Oracle seems to hint that these programs or leftovers are, you know, why did they go rogue or they want to be deleted? There's hints that there's an older version of something out there throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that these, but, but I think especially the Merovingian at that point. And, um, and I think even um, 
and even the vampires we see are kind of supposed to be relics from an earlier Matrix, and there's stuff like that. Which makes me ask, how old is, I mean, or how far in the future are they really? I mean, uh, I mean, they say in the first film, they don't know. I mean, uh, they're, they're guessing, right? Yeah, they're just guessing. We don't know how much history has happened since, yeah. you know, Mish taking over. See, what really, what really makes this even wilder, Kevin, is that whole scene at the end when Neo stops the Sentinels, but with his, you know, by electrifying them with his hand. There at the end mm-hmm. um, is is the world that is painted as the real world really the real world? Because That's, and the, again, where the and the architect hints at that, mm-hmm. you know. Hmm. Go ahead, Kevin. Yep. No, no. That's and that's the point. That's that's that was one of my notes here too. Is that whole concept that they they lull you into thinking that you know there is the matrix where Neo and and folks can can bend reality, and then you think you're in the real world in Zion and thereabouts. But once he does that to the Sentinels, you then have to kind of raise the eyebrow and go, oh, okay, there's multiple layers going on here. Right. You know, is he really in the real world or is this con- another construct of the Matrix? Um, and, and is the only reason that he can't fly and do everything in the real world because he thinks he can't? Again, yes. It's the understanding of the entire construct, you know, if you believe you can. Because, again, as we have all throughout, um, you know, causality, the whole, you know, the uh, the whole basic stuff, again, coming through with uh, Commander Locke, uh you know, being, you know, by the book and this whole thing and believing in prophecies and logic versus faith. I mean, we're we're bringing it back again. We kind of get lost in it because it's kind of the ooh, ah, look at all the cool fight scenes in this movie. But it's still that core right. of, of what is real and, and how do we each define that reality. 
This movie likes to frack with your head. <laughs> just, just a little. Well, you know, and this is what this is what makes it so good, though, Miles. It's not just. It is a science fiction movie in that it's future it's futuristic. It's um, there's awesome fight scenes. You have ships and all that, but it's so much more. And this is one of the reasons I think that the Matrix trilogy really works for me. Uh, as far as a trilogy, because it really does make you think. Mm-hmm. Is your it's not just your your complacent sitting on the couch. Oh, that was a good movie. It's a movie that you can't walk away with if you're fully engaged. You can't walk away and say this hasn't made me think. Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. And we still have not quite as much. Well, not the, not quite as much because we uh, we talked a little bit last time about how some of the character names uh, and their meanings and so forth. We you know already have our core with Neo and Trinity and all, but even the, Mero- the Merovingian, uh, that's a name that refers to a, a Frankish dynasty. Uh, their politics often involved civil warfare, um, you know, between branches of the families, uh, kind of what he's doing and the way he deals with the other programs within the Matrix. You know, he's always mixing things up, causing some issues. Uh, Persephone there, uh, the woman, you know, she's the, that's the Greek goddess of renewal, you know, always you know, getting things to turn over. So, you know, even though it looked like they might not get the key maker, she's there to, to keep the balance, to, to have things uh, come back again. So it's it's very interesting, too, when you start digging deeper into some of the meanings of these things. You look oh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just processing. <laughs> yeah, you're just pondering, pondering. <laughs> there's, a, there's certainly a lot to ponder. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we move into um, – I'd like to maybe talk about some of our favorite characters since we kind of mentioned the, the significance of the names and all that, and maybe get into some of the speeches and talk about some of our favorite speeches. And if we want to do that together, we can. If we want to kind of put it separately, we can. Who, Miles, uh, give me one of your favorite characters in this. Um, a new character that took over for Dozer was Link, the, 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 the slash pilot slash operator. Um, I like the, you know, he was an, he was an interesting character, you, you know, he had, you know, a wife, kids, he had a family, and, you know, just, uh, you know, balancing trying to, you know, try and keep her happy and, and, and just ensure that he's going to be safe. But at the same time, he's on the front lines, and, um, um, uh, you know, I thought, I thought he was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin? Oh, I got to go with the architect. Oh, I mean, yeah. How, how, how cool is just that entire concept? I'm sorry. I mean, I, I can remember the first time I saw that scene just going, huh? Hello, Neo. Who are you? I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. You have many questions, and though the process has altered your consciousness, you remain irrevocably human. Ergo, some of my answers you will understand, and some of them you will not. Concordantly, while your first question may be the most pertinent... You may or may not realize it is also the most irrelevant. Why am I here? Your life is the sum of a remainder of an unbalanced equation inherent to the programming of the Matrix. You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. While it remains a burden assiduously avoided, it is not unexpected and thus not beyond a measure of control, which has led you inexorably here. You haven't answered my question. Quite right. Interesting. 
that was quicker than the others. Others? How many? Others? What? Answer my fucking The Matrix is older than you know. I prefer counting from the emergence of one integral anomaly to the emergence of the next, in which case this is the sixth version. Five ones There are only two possible explanations. There were five ones before. Either no one told me. Or no one knows. Precisely. As you are undoubtedly gathering, the anomaly is systemic, creating fluctuations in even the most simplistic equations. Choice. The problem is choice. I think she stumbled upon a solution whereby nearly 99% of all test subjects accepted the program as long as they were given a choice, even if they were only aware of the choice at a near unconscious level. While this answer functioned, it was obviously fundamentally flawed, thus creating the otherwise contradictory systemic anomaly that, if left unchecked, might threaten the system itself. Ergo, those that refused the program, while a minority, if unchecked, would constitute an escalating probability of disaster. This is about Zion. You are here because Zion is about to be destroyed. Its every living inhabitant terminated, its entire existence eradicated. Bullshit. Bullshit. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. But rest assured, this will be the sixth time we have destroyed it. And we have become exceedingly efficient at it. Function of the One is now to return to the source, allowing a temporary dissemination of the code you carry, reinserting the Prime program. After which you will be required to select from the Matrix 23 individuals, 16 female, 7 male, to rebuild Zion. Failure to comply with this process will result in a cataclysmic system crash, killing everyone connected to the Matrix, which coupled with the extermination of Zion will ultimately result in the extinction of the entire human race. You won't let it happen. You can. You need human beings to survive. There are levels of survival we are prepared to accept. However, the relevant issue is whether or not you are ready to accept the responsibility for the death of every human being in this world. It is interesting reading your reactions. Your five predecessors were, by design, based on a similar predication, a contingent affirmation that was meant to create a profound attachment to the rest of your species, facilitating the function of the One. While the others experienced this in a very general way, your experience is far more specific vis-a-vis love. Trinity. Apropos, she entered the Matrix to save your life at the cost of her own. No. Which brings us at last to the moment of truth wherein the fundamental flaw is ultimately expressed and the anomaly revealed as both beginning and end. There are two doors. The door to your right leads to the source and the salvation of Zion. The door to your left leads back to the Matrix to her and to the end of your species. As you adequately put, the problem is choice. But we already know what you are going to do, don't we? Already I can see the chain reaction, the chemical precursors that signal the onset of an emotion designed specifically to overwhelm logic and reason. An emotion that is already blinding you from the simple and obvious truth. 
she is going to die, and there is nothing you can do to stop it. Hope. It is the quintessential human delusion, simultaneously the source of your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. If I were you, I would hope that we don't meet again. We won't. <laughs> I got to see that again. I got to hear what he just said again. Okay, this has all happened before, and the whole choice, and all. I'm like, oh my god, I, uh, my brain hurts. I mean, that's just cool to see that, and and the actor just deadpans it so perfectly, because obviously, you know, he is so, you know, yep, we've done this before. We're going to do it again. Yeah, you think you're special, you're not. So I just the delivery of it uh, is just. I love the concept. So let's talk about the architect's speech a little bit. What really stands out to you in the architect's speech? Again, bringing everything back to the whole destiny, uh, choice, uh, prophecy, you know, uh, control of your own decisions. I mean, the Oracle brought it up a little bit earlier with, with Neo, the whole idea of her knowing what he was going to do. And, and his brain starts, you know, hiccuping on another on, great on, speech we'll talk about yeah bit. another great one but i mean th- this one here is where he's boiling it all right down uh, to the you know decision what are you going to do you're going to the better you know the betterment of everyone versus your personal situation and how this particular uh whatever he calls it rendition or whatever uh addition is different because neo has trinity so it's a different choice to be made and the fact that neo thinks he can avert the quote prophecy that if he doesn't choose to, to save everyone that, that we're, they're all doomed right. again it, it's still back to the individual believing that they have control over their own life right and uh, the question is do they really and that's kind of the whole thing that they play with here choice but we already know what you're going to do he kind of says and um mm-hmm. he kind of makes this and and I, I it just and even the oracle says you already made your choice you're you're here to understand why mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um you know this is just a great it's regal you know the other thing about the that scene is not only the, the quotes there by the way i love the way he ends his speech about hope being the quintessential human delusion uh, the greatest strength and your greatest weakness at the same time yeah at I, the same time yep. yeah i thought that was the gr- that was great um just said so much in there I, I loved all the tvs in the room and when i saw that i had to go back and watch the original matrix when i first saw it because those TVs are in the original Matrix, mm-hmm. you know. Yep, the several. Yep. Because when they when they when they zoom in when they're interrogating Neo in the interrogation oh, yeah. room, there's a bank of TVs, and you're like, he's watching them interrogate him. <laughs> you know. Well, again, it's the whole idea that it's kind of like a giant computer program. It's going to play out a certain way every time. Right. You know, at at, at any given moment, you have all these different players on the chessboard, so to speak, but eventually they're all going to come together. And, and as the architect, he's basically just, uh, you know, watching it all play out. Right. So, yep. we, no, it, it is. Yeah. It, and, you know, but Neo's kind of the virus in the program then because he does kind of unpredictable things or he's kind of unpredictable. And they even associate uh, Smith at that one um, interrogation of Morpheus in the first movie kind of calls humanity a virus. So it kind of plays. Well, that's where it. it's interesting because he refers to humanity as a virus, but I think very much by this second movie, that's what we see Smith as oh, because yeah. he can't he can't be controlled. He's he's multiplying. He's totally uh, doing things that, that that they don't expect to be done, and he's affecting both quote the good guys and the bad guys. And and so that's you know 
very much where it's it's playing itself out a little bit. So it's interesting that he complains so much about humanity being the virus, but uh, once he's uh, destroyed by Neo at the end of the first movie, that's the option he takes. Right, right. Well, and they really play that up in the third movie. Oh yeah, even more so. so. Yeah, so, I didn't yeah, want to go I, too far. No, but but it's it, it. I mean, it just it just does, and so. Very cool. Well, that's certainly one speech. Did you have any speeches? Go ahead. Do you question, want to comment on this? Well, a common question, maybe both of you can help. There's a, whether, when, when Neo and the Architect are talking, you know, basically the Architect is basically threatening all of humanity. And Neo is saying, you're not going to kill all humanity. You need us to survive. And he goes, well, there's, there's degrees of survival. You know, right. What was he I, – I mean, what was he implying? I mean, I mean, they used the humans as, you know, basically as batteries for their – to, for power source and the whole matrix thing is just keep the humans engaged and keep everything going. I mean, I guess, um, what was he saying? There's, there's, you know, different ways of survival where they going to a point where they don't need, you know, humans as live batteries or did, did I mean, I wasn't sure what he was implying when he was saying that. Kevin, I'll let you feel that. <laughs> <laughs> or, Passing the buck. No. Maybe, maybe, maybe there, there isn't an answer. I don't know. Well, no, it's funny. I did. I thought about that too, and and I'm not sure if it's right. But the the thought I had, as you touched on perfectly there, Miles, they've gotten they meaning the machines, the programs have gotten to the point where yes, they need the uh, human race as the batteries because they have a colossal system now. But I think what he's referring to, which is why that choice still is important for Neo, is that even if he doesn't choose to save humanity, he you know goes off thinking he has to save Trinity. And they have to shut down. It's like any computer system. There will still be an entity somewhere with power that will be used as the source to start again. It will take a hell of a lot longer. <laughs> but they will get back to that point eventually. So I, I see their level of survival as that. Is That's sucky. That's not where I want to go. Uh, you know, I'd rather keep using you mindless uh, copper tops. But um, <laughs> right. But if you do choose to go the wrong way and I lose my power source – uh, there will still be somewhere some quote battery backup that keeps something going long enough to restart this whole thing. I mean, I guess they could clone more humans again. I guess or so, or something. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they, they, they I mean, they could breed more humans to uh, for batteries. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. We well, you know, and I think that plays into the whole idea of there's kind of this whole one of the things they address is a whole symbiotic relationship between humanity and machines that you kind of see in. Uh, it kind of leads me into a, a quote that I had on my list as being one that was memorable. Is the whole Counselor Heyman, uh, or yeah, the Counselor is it is Harmon and uh, and Neo's speech down at the water recycling plant. Almost no one comes down here unless, of course, there's a problem. That's how it is with people. Nobody cares how it works as long as it works. I like it. I like to be reminded this city survives because of these machines. These machines are keeping us alive while other machines are coming to kill us. Interesting, isn't it? Power to give life. The power to end it. We have the same power. I suppose we do, but... Down here sometimes I think about all those people still plugged into the Matrix, and when I look at these machines... I can't help thinking that in a way we are plugged into them. But we control these machines. They don't control us. Of course not. How could they? The idea is pure nonsense, but it does make one wonder just 
What is control? If we wanted, we could shut these machines down. That's it. You hit it. That's control, isn't it? If we wanted, we could smash them to bits. Although if we did, we'd have to consider what would happen to our lights, our heat, our air. So we need machines and they need us. Is that your point, Counselor? No. No point. Old men like me don't bother with making points. There's no point. Is that why there are no young men on the council? Good point. And uh, I think it's a, it's a great... I mean, so there's limits to survival for the sure. architect. But they need humanity just the way humanity needs machines in science. Yeah. But see, there's also a great parallel there, which is, again, one of these fun things that comes to me on a rewatch. That's, that's, you know, that's cool... In and of itself there, talking about people or, or humanity controlling the machines. But then we step back into some of the stuff that the Oracle talks about a little bit too and the architect in the sense that um, in the, quote, computer world, in the matrix world, there's supposed to be a system of control there as well. The whole idea is that when the program, like when Smith was killed, for want of a better term, he was supposed to do something. There's a control system in place. He chose not to and he therefore is fracking with the system. So the, uh, that same idea of control that's in place to keep everything working well doesn't exist even on the machine side, even on the utopian machine side that's supposed to be all, uh, you know, all the bugs worked out after six renditions of this. They're still having the same type of issues that people have. There's still the same parallel. There is no perfect utopian system. Right, right. So you have the machines that are like, they go rogue. They become the ghosts. They become the vampires. They become the whatnot, but they are these rogue they're, you know, they're the, they're the rogue systems within it, and they kind of function like the people of Zion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to a certain degree, every system kind of needs a little bit of that, a little bit of chaos to create the understanding of what's normal. But it's when you get something like a Smith that's so far outside of it that it threatens the system, or a Neo who is so much more skilled and aware that instead of just going through the motions of what the architect expects like the first six times, you now have the system at risk. And both of those happened at the same time. Smith on the computer side, Neo on the human side. That's why it's such a big clash. If one or two, one of those had existed in one of the previous renditions, then fine, the system would have tipped in that favor. But this time, you had two that totally messed up the system because they were both stronger than the system at the same time. And uh, I think, you know, this obviously gets into movie three, which we don't necessarily want to go to. But you see that Neo, of course, realizes the necessity of the mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. in the end. And uh, and you have the two programs that end up going at each other. These two rogue programs end up facing off. So, yeah. That Oracle speech, by the way, that you mentioned, Kevin, absolutely phenomenal speech by the Oracle. Well, come on. I ain't gonna bite you. Come around here and let me have a look at you. My goodness, look at you. You turned out all right, didn't you? How do you feel? I, uh... I know you're not sleeping. We'll get to that. Why don't you come and have a sit this time? Maybe I'll stand. Well, suit yourself. I felt like sitting. I know. So... 
Let's get the obvious stuff out of the way. You're not human, are you? Well, it's tough to get any more obvious than that. If I had to guess, I'd say you're a program from the machine world. So is he. So far, so good. But if that's true, that could mean you are part of this system. Another kind of control. Keep going. I suppose the most obvious question is, how can I trust you? Bingo. It is a pickle, no doubt about it. Bad news is there's no way if you can really know whether I'm here to help you or not. So it's really up to you. Just have to make up your own damn mind to either accept what I'm going to tell you or reject it. Candy? You already know if I'm going to take it? Wouldn't be much of an oracle if I didn't. But if you already know, how can I make a choice? Because you didn't come here to make the choice. You've already made it. You're here to try to understand why you made it. I thought you'd have figured that out by now. Why are you here? Same reason. I love candy. But why help us? We're all here to do what we're all here to do. I'm interested in one thing, Neil, the future. And believe me, I know the only way to get there is together. Are there other programs like you? Oh, not like me, but... Look, see those birds? At some point, a program was written to govern them. A program was written to watch over the trees and the wind, sunrise and sunset. Their program's running all over the place. The ones doing their job, doing what they were meant to do, are invisible. You'd never even know they were here. But the other ones, well, you hear about them all the time. I've never heard of them. Of course you have. Every time you've heard someone say they saw a ghost or an angel. Every story you've ever heard about vampires, werewolves, or aliens is the system assimilating some program that's doing something they're not supposed to be doing. Programs hacking programs? Why? There are reasons, but usually a program chooses exile when it faces deletion. And why would a program be deleted? Maybe it breaks down. Maybe a better program is created to replace it. Happens all the time. And when it does, a program can either choose to hide here or return to the source. The machine mainframe? Yes. Where you must go. Where the path of the one ends. You've seen it. In your dreams, haven't you? The door made of light. What happens when you go through the door? I see Trinity. And something happens. Something bad. She starts to fall. And then I wake up. Do you see her die? No. You have the sight now, Neil. You are looking at the world without time. Then why can't I see what happens to her? 
We can never see past the choices we don't understand. Are you saying I have to choose whether Trinity lives or dies? No. You've already made the choice. Now you have to understand it. No. I can't do that. I won't. Well, you have to. Why? Because you're the one. What if I can't? What happens if I fail? Then Zion will fall. She has one, of, in my opinion. Well, it was so interesting too that first time, because it, at that point we didn't know she was a program, or right. that she was the mother of the matrix, or thought of as the mother. Again, I, up till that point, we're still thinking this is a human who's just smart enough to somehow, you know, help humanity. And then you go, oh, it's a program. Oh crap! You know, like like Neo said, do I trust her? Do I trust how much of her? And, yeah, great speech yeah. by her, and you know, um, and then uh, you know. She's not a uh, – and, you know, can, can we trust? It's great. And I, I think that she has the, one of the best speeches in the first movie and she comes back with another phenomenal speech here, <laughs> you know. And so I just think it's – I just think it's an incredible uh, way in this whole idea of choice. And you didn't come here to make the choice. You came to understand it. <laughs> great line. Yeah. You already know what you're going to do. So you just want – you know, again, that's just – uh, I'm sorry. It, as corny as it sounds, it's just mind blowing when you step back and think about it. You know, all of us who go through our daily routines and take care of our you know jobs and our families and everything else. But how often do you stop and think about the whys of what you're doing? <laughs> I know, and it's kind of, and I think that's that 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 brings us part. That's the philosophical. That's the that's the uh, that's the self discovery that comes out from doing that sort of thing. And it's kind of what they're trying to get Neo to see at this point, right? But yeah. Um, well, uh, other speeches I had on my list, and maybe you doubled them here. Um, I thought that the speech that Agent Smith gives right before the fight scene of like the hundreds of Smiths fighting him, the one about there's no escaping reason, no denying purpose. As far as we know, without purpose, we would not exist. And this whole thing that we're here because of you, Mr. Anderson, hmm. and we're here to take what you try to take from us, purpose. You're like, So he's kind of acknowledging that here I am a machine – a program without purpose now because you took me out of the matrix and I'm going to take your purpose away. Right. Sounds yep. very vindictive. I mean, it uh, is very vindictive. That's Smith for you, but you know, and emotional for, um, you know, machine. Yeah. A program. Yeah. And then the Merovingian of course has that great speech. We didn't really talk about that. You want to talk about that speech a little bit? Ah, here he is at last. Neo one himself, right? And the legendary Morpheus. And Trinity, of course, si belle qu'elle me fait souffrir. I have heard so much of you. Honor me, please sit, join us. This is my wife, Persephone. Something to eat? Drink? <laughs> of course, such things are contrivances like so much here, for the sake of appearances. No, thank you. Yes, of course. Who has time? Who has time? But then if we do not ever take time, how can we ever have time? Chateau Aubryon, 1959. Magnificent wine. I love French wine. Like I love the French language. I have sampled every language. French is my favorite. Fantastic language. Especially to curse with. Nom de Dieu, de putain de bordel, de merde, de saloperie, de connard, d'enculé de ta mère. You see, it's like wiping your ass with silk. I love it. You know why we are here. 
I am a trafficker of information. I know everything I can. The question is, do you know why you are here? We are looking for the keymaker. Oh, yes, it is true. The keymaker, of course. But this is not a reason, this is not a why. The keymaker himself is very nature's means, it is not an end. And so, to look for him is to be looking for a means to do what? You know the answer to that question. But do you? You think you do, but you do not. You are here because you were sent here. You were told to come here and then you obeyed. <laughs> it is, of course, the way of all things. You see, there is only one constant. One universal, it is the only real truth. Causality. Action, reaction. Cause and effect. Everything begins with choice. No, wrong. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those without. Look there at that woman. My God, just look at her. Affecting everyone around her, so obvious, so bourgeois, so boring. But wait. Watch, you see, I have sent her a dessert. A very special dessert. I wrote it myself. It starts so simply. Each line of the program creating a new effect, just like poetry. First, a rush, heat, a heart flutters. You can see it now, yes? She does not understand why. Is it the wine? No. What is it then? What is the reason? And soon it does not matter. Soon the why and the reason are gone. And all that matters is the feeling itself. And this is the nature of the universe. We struggle against it, we fight to deny it, but it is, of course, pretends it is a lie. Beneath our poised appearance, the truth is we are completely... Out of control. Causality. There is no escape from it. We are forever slaves to it. Our only hope, our only peace is to understand it, to understand the why. Why is what separates us from them. You from me. Why is the only real source of power? Without it, you are powerless. And this is how you come to me, without why, without power. Another link in the chain. But fear not, since I have seen how good you are at following orders, I will tell you what to do next. Run back and give the fortune teller this message. Her time is almost up. The whole cause and effect. Well, I just thought, oh, yeah. I just thought, I mean, they kind of sort of, Towards the end of it, ended on on a, on a humorous note. And he says, I, "I I have to go." And his wife asks where he goes. He goes, 
uh, cause, you know, cause and effect, my love. Uh, I drank too much wine. Now I have to take a leak. I mean, right, I mean, right, quote unquote leak. That's yeah. not where he's really. That's going. not where. That, that's not where he's going. But it was that's just, not where the lipstick is, right? Well, and you know, you just see <laughs> you see him talking. You see that other attractive woman eating that piece of cake, and it's just like he's like, okay, there's something going on between them two. Mm. Um, I thought that the. I like the first line of that speech. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those without. And it makes you like – you look at our entire society mm-hmm. and the advertising that goes into the products. You know, Why do we buy the things that we do? Mm-hmm. Why do we value even the sci-fi shows that we love? You know, How much choice do we really have? Do we really have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean that's something we could explore. I mean uh, we all have our preferences. I mean – I mean, something appeals to what preference or not. I mean, but where do our preferences come from? Our parents. It's it, then it then gets to the nature versus nurture thing. I right, mean, right. Um, Kevin, you're awfully silent over there. <laughs> <laughs> Only because again, it gets the wheels turning. It gets. That's why I like to hear other people talking about. Like I said, I'm the I, I'm the one who enjoyed a couple of those. Uh, Matrix philosophy books and and they make my head hurt. So uh-huh. in a good I enjoy way, hearing course. I enjoy hearing the ideas and the thoughts you know laid out because yes, it is it's it's that and and um, this comes out for example draw a weird parallel to to um, to, uh, to me anyway a little bit to Dollhouse now for those I won't give spoilers but for those of you who've seen Dollhouse you know the concept of the attic and how difficult, you know, the concept that you're trying to remember something and it's on the tip of your tongue, but you can never remember it. To me, this comes back to that whole idea of, uh, and you were just saying it, Miles, uh, believing you have choice, but do you really? Okay, where where is that? Is that some of the definitions of of what helps certain people be very happy and content in their lives by believing they have that choice? And in the same situation, other people believing they don't, therefore that tends to, to drag them down um, and limit their ability to, quote, succeed, quote, unquote, air quotes there. Uh, that same situation, uh, is it all in how we perceive the reality around us? Is that what truly changes this? Wow. <laughs> Questions we're not going to be able to answer tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the, this is a great thing about Matrix Reloaded is that in uh, you know all three of the movies, but I think you know Matrix Reloaded, especially with the great speeches. While maybe the pacing is off a little bit, like we said before, really make us think. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is reality? What's beyond the world? What makes us do the things that we do? And this is, I think, is one of the reasons that I do seriously like Matrix Reloaded. Oh, absolutely. That's why I've, I've, I always say that they get they meaning the last two movies in this trilogy a bad rap. Because people tend to just cling on to you know pacing issues, too much action, you know whatever it might be, or whatever it was you mentioned early on about this being the sixth worst sequel from a quality point of view or something. I mean that's that's ludicrous. I mean I could we can go up with a lot worse films here in the course of uh, film history. So it's there's there's something there if you're willing to have an open enough mind to, right. to look for it. Miles smiled when you said cling on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> it's definitely probably one of the more. Un- I mean, it's. it's it, I mean, my mind had changed a lot after seeing it a second time. Um, it, you know, it's probably it's probably underappreciated. 
you know, the, these, I think the, the other thing is that The Matrix 1 sets up an expectation as far as how a film is going to run. Mm-hmm. And you expect that to run through the sequels. And in a sense, each movie has its own focus. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one very much tends to focus more on the spiritual and Neo embracing the past. Here it becomes more or less, you know, Neo understanding, you know, the why. What, the people trying to get him to see, okay, why are you doing these things, Neo? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third movie takes even another bent to it. And so I think that they kind of function together. But if you go in to Matrix 2 Reloaded, having saying, I'm going to see the same type of film I saw in movie one, the elements are there. But it is a different film. It focuses on different things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's very much to a – and we'll see this certainly in the third film. It's it's the journey. I mean the first film is, is much like when you're teenagers, early 20s. It, it, the, the concept of discovery, of, of realization of what life is and what your life is about to a certain degree – uh, the impatience is there in the first one. By the second one, much like when you get later, maybe your 20s or 30s, you start actually questioning it and trying to understand the whys. You know, it's it's the maturity of, of – you can very much draw the parallel to, to going from 17 to 27 and how much you realize yourself most likely you've radically changed more than just the 10 years that have passed. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. I think I mean I think you said something very good there, Kevin. I mean, I know for myself. I mean, eight years ago is not a lot of time, but when I saw the second Matrix, you know, I was in my early thirties. Um, now I'm forty. I look at things a little bit differently now than I did then. So yeah. I could you know slow down. I mean, that's why. I mean, in some ways, I mean, not that I mean, this movie is is is, is 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 has its fast pacing, but you kind of have to slow down to a degree to, to get what's being said and, yeah. and, and so you can process what's being said. You know, there's two characters that we haven't talked about much at all. We don't talk about, we don't talk about Seraph. And I think that he's a fairly interesting addition to the cast. And I was glad to see him brought back in not only in this movie, but in the third movie as well. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Seraph? Refresh my memory. Which one? He's a guy that says, you never really know a man until you fight him. He's like the guard of the Oracle.
against many enemies, I had to be sure. Of what? That you are the one. Could have just asked. No, you do not truly know someone until you fight them. Oh, yeah, him. Okay. Um, yeah. I like this character. Doesn't say much, but there's a part that's pretty essential. He says something. I'm here to protect what matters most. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great line. Mm-hmm. Short line, but great. Mm-hmm. Kevin, any thoughts on Sarah? Yeah. Yeah, that's and again, as you kind of touched on, it's got the whole idea of uh, you know when he, he and Neo have their little sparring thing, and Neo basically says, "Well, you know, all you had to do is ask me who I was," and like you just said, he stated it. You know, you don't really know the man until you fought him. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. I love. Yeah, that. it's just you know, it's that same idea. What what defines who we are? Right. Uh, you know, we think from ourselves out, so we know our intentions. So Neo is being honest in that. Well, all you had to do is ask me, and. He's again showing him the real world vote. That's not always the easiest way to tell. Yeah. Well, he does apologize to him. <laughs> right. Right. I must apologize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he was nice about it, at yeah. least. <laughs> yeah. What about uh, in the keymaker? We didn't really mention at all, but he's kind of an integral part to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, then, but go ahead. Kevin. Oh, go ahead, Miles. Well, I was just going to say it was interesting that he wanted out. I mean, this you know the Maryvillian guy. I mean, uh, it's like I can't go back there. Yeah, he wanted to get away from the Merovingian. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, but he also kind of acts. He's he's very much, or I think of him as the. Um, he, he's from Neo's point of view. He's the prize. I mean, he's you know the Oracle says you have to go to the Merovingian to get the keymaker, and the keymaker lets him know. I you know and he physically holds it. It's a it's a tangible key. This is what you need to to go through the door of light. So I mean, he's a bit of the to get to the source. Yeah, I mean, but he's also the the um, when you get to that point in your life, whatever age it is, when you think you need to attain that goal, it's the diff- it's the difference between the journey to it and what often comes in the disappointment of getting it. Right. You know, oftentimes you need to realize sometimes the journey is much more enjoyable than actually getting to the destination. So the keymaker kind of became that big thing Neil had to get, they had to have. But even when he did, the obviously the architect, the point of the destination was a bit of a disappointment to say the least. Yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of draw that to the real life parallel sometimes when people say, you know, it's all about, you know, acquiring wealth or power or whatever you know it's it's you got to realize slow down and, and enjoy the journey of getting wherever it is you're trying to go yeah absolutely well is there anything else about the matrix reloaded before i give you these tria questions i've been kind of holding at bay um anything else about matrix reloaded that you guys want to say no i i think we covered it pretty good yeah mm-hmm. yeah the only thing that i was never a big fan of and, and still uh, i'm not was this whole idea of the traitor guy who ends up you know who had the knife who was going to try to stab um, Neo and then ends up being the one who ends up in the medical table right across from oh, him at B- the very B- end. Bane? Yeah, I mean, it just kind of, it fit to make the, um, I, I thought it was a little too simple for the people who weren't seeing the bigger picture of the movie to create more of a traditional, ooh, bad guy and nobody knows he's a bad guy kind of thing. Right, right. You although know? it does play into that whole idea of the fact that if Smith, a program, can transfer into our universe, it's a kind of a subtle hint that what we're getting at the end of the movie, the fact that he does bleed into our world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I give you that. Yeah, yeah but, I, but I, I, Bane's not my favorite character by any means. Yeah, well, again, it's because I, I don't know, I guess I'm thinking more of 
bigger importance things, and that right. seems like too much of a simple movie plot device yeah. for the person who's not even grasping what's going on. Yeah. You know? And they didn't take a lot of time to develop them. Now, granted, the, 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 the movie was long to begin. It was over two hours long, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. 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 And we didn't talk about music, but I don't feel that we need to this, this show. So good music. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, Pumping music, but. It did what it needed to do. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys ready for some trivia? Fire away. Okay, now this is trivia. I'm going to be honest. When I came up with these questions or I found these questions, I did not know the answers to half of these. So if you guys, Miles, Kevin, don't do well at these, don't worry about it. These are pretty tough trivia questions. How many people, first question, question number one, how many people are turned into agents on the freeway chase scene? I'm going to guess eight. Ooh, close. It's It's a holy number. Seven? Seven. Seven. So there's two cops that are in the cop car in the tunnel. Two more cops in the cop car you see as the car drive by. Um, and two more truck drivers and the police officer on top of the overpass. So that was kind of creepy how they transitioned. From oh, yeah. That is, mm. yeah, it looks it looks painful. Yeah. So. Thinking of, like Miles just said, of a couple of those scenes and kind of wigging out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one's really hard. I would have never gotten it. What type of motorcycle does Trinity drive in highway scene? I'm not, a, I'm not a motorcycle rider. Oh, um, is it a Triumph? Ooh, no, it's not a Triumph. It starts with a D. Oh, okay. That's it's, it's, it's actually not a name of a motorcycle I recognize. Maybe it's Australian. I don't know. A Ducati 996? Ducati. Ducati, yes. Ducati, yeah. See, I would never have known that. That's one of those questions. If I if there was a multiple choice, I probably would have got it. But... Oh, I should have given them multiple choice. I, should, <laughs> I would have got it. I would have recognized it. <laughs> Okay, when Trinity, when, here's question three. When Trinity, Morpheus, and Neo are following Persephone to the Keymaker, they come into a room where two servants of her husband are sitting by the TV. What movie are they watching? I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> Damn it. It's one of those ones where when I watched it, I went, I've, I've got to look that up. I'm sure that's an important. It's another one of those little nods. I, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. The Brides of Dracula. Yeah, there we go. Which, yeah, is, by the, the way, vampires. is not credited in Reloaded, but is credited at the end of Revolutions. Oh, uh, okay. Just, uh... Now, here's another thing. Do you know the name of the two vampires watching the movie? No. No. Biblical reference. I'll give you a hint. Biblical yeah. reference, two brothers. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Yeah. Yeah. Cain and Abel. And, uh, oh, this one. I don't know if this is easy or not, but... What is the color of the tie worn by Morpheus during the fight on the truck with the other agent? Is it blue? Not blue. What's the color of the Matrix? Green. Green. Yep, it's green. And uh, this is the last one, and uh, last one that I'll harass you guys with. Uh, how many times did the keymaker take out a key and use it to the rebel's advantage? Oh, that's a really nerdy question. <laughs> yeah. We'll Say that again. How, how many times? How many what? times does the keymaker take out a key and use it uh, to help? You know, Morpheus, Neo, and Trinity. Three, three. Close. Four. 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 First time he does it is to open the door that would lead them into the parking lot. Second time is for the car in the highway sequence. The third is for Trinity's motorcycle, and the fourth is the door leading to the door of light. Uh, I forgot about the motorcycle. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that, the motorcycle one actually stands out to me because I remember her asking to be uh, had a, a hotwire one of those motorcycles. So that's uh, that's a trivia. So those those were some pretty hard ones. And again, I would have done pretty poor at them too. So, <laughs> but, 
But all right, well, that's um, I think that about does it for our show okay. tonight. So uh, we have our next date is. Do we set a date for the Animatrix? I guess is what we'll be doing, right? When I say the Animatrix, I mean the entire desk of shorts. Mm-hmm. So next time, it looks like we're going to be reviewing the Animatrix, which, by the way, kind of weaves its way around this second movie. Mm-hmm. Like some of it takes place before and some of it takes place after, and it kind of bridges some movies together. So it's appropriate that I guess we kind of talk about it now. But we're going to be watching the Animatrix, which are all the shorts that are involved regarding the Matrix. It gives a lot of good backstory into it. Even the history of the Matrix is kind of explored. So if you guys are into this Matrix we watch with us, Watch the Animatrix with us. Rent it at Netflix if you've never seen it. It does play into the myth arc of the entire series. Yeah, so do. it's well worth seeing. It, it will enhance your viewing of the other Absolutely. Movies, yeah. And so June 7th is a date that you want to have your comments and listener feedback into it. I did fail to mention that we did get some feedback, and we probably should address that real quick. Well, hello. This is from Colin in England. Well, hello, one and all. I've just finished watching the second film, so allow me to convey my thoughts. The little nuances that started the first film are prevalent here, such as when you see the TV screens in the architect room, there's also other subtleties, such as when they exit the lift on the floor 101. I had a smile at that. Of course, there's an excellent use of groundbreaking bullet, which is a trademark of these films. But I think the use of super slow-mo in every fight scene was a bit too much. Um, they said it's that said, some of the fight scenes were amazing. I particularly like the scene where Neo's fighting about 50 Smith clones. The part where he plays ball with the pole and then runs around kicking them is brilliant. So what do you think about just that part of the email? Yeah, it's an excellent point about, again, they went a little overboard with the coolness of the fight scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a little bit. But, uh, you know, again, maybe slow-mo a little bit overused. Maybe. I didn't really think about it from that point. Um, the film has a plethora of fight scenes, and the high se- highway sequence is well done, cumulating with the truck's crumpling, which is a beautiful scene. We didn't even talk about that. As, ne- as, as Neo, he is Nemo, but Neo saves him. But then this, is, then this is one of the criticisms that's leveled at it, all action and no substance. There are various parts. Uh, by the way, I think we kind of addressed that. We think there is substance, maybe not in that action sequence, but there's definitely substance in this film. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There are various parts I know a lot of people don't like i.e. the Frenchman, or when Neo removes a, uh, removes a bullet. But they did not really bother me that much. You also get the explanation by the brilliantly portrayed architect of the nature of the Matrix and Neo's purpose. It answers a lot of questions, and you gain knowledge that they have destroyed Zion numerous times, which naturally brings us to Zion, the all-dropping size of the underground city, which you see Link, as Link comments on being glad to be home, is very well done. The sheer scale is well conveyed and coupled with the fact that they reinforce the humans live at the live in, they now reinforce that humans live in burrows still dependent on machines while other machines dominate the surface an interesting irony which was reinforced by the engineering level any comments on any of that Kevin or miles um, I just want to backtrack I, I, as far as the, the slow motion fight I thought one thing the slow mo helped me with is that the, it, it was a fight scene, but it's not taking place in the real world, and so maybe, maybe things slow down in that um, um, when, when Neo is fighting uh, the Smiths or, or whoever. It's just um, because it's not taking place in the real world, then maybe the the environment, the atmosphere changes. So that the slow mo didn't bother me. Yeah, it doesn't bother me either. 
Um, now, of course, we can watch two and three back to back. At the time, there was a six-month gap in England between the two, so the ending of two is not much of a cliffhanger. That said, even at the time, it did not really grip me as a cliffhanger. I'm guessing that's because we all knew that it was filmed as one film, then cut in two. So was it as strong as one? No. Better than three? Yes. But I can still sit down and watch them and enjoy them. This is, after all, what the cast and crew wanted to do, entertain you. If you are then, if you are then, if you are entertained, uh, then they have succeeded in that regard. Here's to seeing the third part. Enjoy the blue pill. (laughs) Colin in England. Any comments on that, Kevin? No, he's got some excellent points uh, in terms of summarizing kind of the approach and the thought. It, 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 it is entertaining, but and, and as Miles mentioned a little earlier, at, at two and a quarter hours, this you know, this wouldn't have hurt if the editor had been a little more judicious in cutting some things out. I think, so, but uh, but it's still very entertaining in what it did. So yeah, you're, yeah. And this is That's one really- of the things that we said about the first movie that in the first movie, everything that was in there was absolutely necessary, and the pacing was phenomenal. And if there is a fault for the second movie, and again, I like the second movie. If there's a fault for it, it is the pacing. A little they bit. probably put too much. Maybe the fight scenes were just because they could, and maybe they had more of a budget. They they, they kind of they went all out. And yeah, maybe it would have been benefited uh, helped with maybe just a little less. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean that's yeah that's what you can say about the highway scene. Again, it very cool and. Uh, you know, one of the best ever, but from the movie and the plot point of view, did you really need all that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, well, thanks, Colin, so much for emailing us and letting us know your thoughts about Matrix 2. And uh, again, if you want to um, call in, you can call into our listener line at 188-508-4343. And I know that Tuning in Sci-Fi also has a listener line as well. And you'll find that information out on their webpage. But uh, we would love to hear your feedback on the Animatrix as well and uh, see what you think about those cartoon shorts and some of the animation. We don't often discuss animation on this show, mm-hmm. um, but it's a part of the Matrix uh, trilogy, and uh, I guess, and it's important. So I believe that is about it, unless you guys have anything more. No, I think we covered it well. Yeah, Kevin, you want to tell us where they can find you and your show? Sure. Uh, it's at uh, tuningittosci-fi-tv.com. Right. And uh, all your contact information is, is there. And there's a forum post, I imagine, that's up as well. So if you want to get into some discussion, particularly on the Matrix of the Matrix uh, Reloaded, you can do so. And you can, of course, join our fans, Facebook fan page and get into discussions there as well. But uh, you can email us at sci-fi-diner-podcast at gmail.com and we'll make sure that the uh, emails get around to everyone. I believe that's about it. So uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Okay, till next time, good night and good luck. See ya.
Sci-Fi Rewind is a collaborative effort between the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV podcast and the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. If you would like more excellent sci-fi content, please check out one of these shows. Please email us at sci-fi rewind at gmail.com.